the thing is, and <laughs> this might be a stupid cold opening uh, conversation, but while I was on the toilet, I was thinking of ideas like one does. Um, I was thinking of ideas uh, in terms of like podcasts and different stuff like that because I'm just always thinking. Yeah. I was thinking while I was on the toilet, I was like, you know, like me and Tio, we always have these ideas that we throw out there, whether some are good or whether some are bad. There's still ideas that we throw out there that people can just like easily steal. So I was thinking, what is an easily stillable podcast idea? And I got it. What? And I would listen slash watch this. My idea, there's two different ideas here. The first idea is, is a podcast where basically it's, it's like a 10-minute podcast, basically. It's the time from basically when you sit on the toilet to when you are done wiping. And that okay. is the time you are listening to this podcast. The, the podcast would be called Poopcast. So you got Poopcast you're listening to while you're doing your business. All and, right. And the thing is, with Poopcast, uh, there's different things you can do with it. With Poopcast, I was thinking it'd almost just be like almost instructional. Like you're listening to it, but it's mostly just like, like it's something you will probably laugh at if you're listening to it while actually pooping like it would just be simple stuff like okay now remove your pants take a seat relax your cheeks oh, don't clench don't clench like it's almost like very <laughs> weird asmr <laughs> while just, you're like, just like directions for yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's like it's every episode <laughs> <laughs> yes you have episodes every one and a half to two days. Basically, any time a poop's going to happen for the person. Uh, <laughs> now it could change up, but uh, but yeah, that that's something because like you could just have that full ASMR type in instruction, and then like once you you're starting to get to the end, it's like oh oh oh, all right, now you can clinch, now clinch. No, All right. So what's that? What's the other idea? <laughs> okay, so that's that's poop cats. That's the idea for that. Anyone can take that. You can make as many podcasts as you want. That's only a one podcast thing, but if you draw it out into more episodes, good luck. Now, the other idea is this one might be might could actually happen, I feel like. It would basically be like a, in terms of like a video podcast, like a Joe Rogan experience where it's like a video podcast and it's yeah. like an interview or talking with someone else. But the gimmick with it is, is that the two people are sitting on toilets and there's basically a sensor bar like covering that area. They don't have to actually be pooping. But like in between stuff, they can make jokingly like like stuff like that. Yeah. But the whole that thing, one's a little weird. The whole thing is basically an interview, 
or, or two people talking while they are on these two separate toilets. And it would be called talking SH blankety blankety. Because this isn't. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, I see. All right. Yeah. Okay. I get what you're getting at. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a creative title, at least. <laughs> <laughs> But here's the thing. I I would like it. I would like that that podcast. Like you can have like your uh, your regular type interview or conversation. I would like that podcast to like. This is how I would want it. If I was running talking sh blankety blankety, I would have it where like you have that premise. The two people are sitting on the toilets. There's a sensor bar. They're not actually like like uncovered, but the sensor bar is to kind of show that. Um, oh, okay. yeah yeah like like it's it's more just for like a a goof like a gap yeah. oh you could you can also just it's you can also just have your editors just like uh just put in little <clears throat> sound effects like, yeah, little, yeah. Little, no, like, that's that's what it would the be. water just yeah. at random intervals exactly exactly and like basically what it would be is uh those two people here's how i would want it i would want like your your main host guy and then the guest and the guest is like someone that's like really intelligent or someone who like who whether he's a scientist or he he has a lot of philosophical ideas i want them to be talking about like philosophy of life while doing this jeez and then the episode ends with the two standing up they they're not actually like nude from the waist down, but there's a sensor bar there. They get some toilet paper. They turn around with the sensor bar and they're pretending to wipe, throw it in the toilet. They shake hands and they walk without washing. Without washing, exactly. Their hands aren't actually dirty, but a viewer no. unaware of the gimmick doesn't know that. Yeah, exactly. And then they walk off. That's the end of the episode. And it's got one of those like uh like relaxing lo-fi theme songs that plays as they're doing this like yeah. like that sort of thing like with the like sort of sound behind that beat yeah, yeah I can see it in my head now I think uh Talking sh blankety blankety has more promise than poopcast. Poopcast is a one and done, but talking sh blankety blankety, I could see Neil deGrasse Tyson on. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um. Other notable scientists. (laughs) It's like, hmm, who's another scientist? I don't know. Stephen Hawking passed away, right? A while ago. Yeah, so you can't do him. So. Hmm. Not that it would be super easy to get him on the, on, you know, the toilet. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be a bit awkward. Um, I can't think of any modern philosophers. I haven't done enough. Uh, oh, like, Jaden Smith. Yet. That's our most yeah. modern philosopher to get Jaden Smith Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Storebrand Comics, everybody. 
<laughs> just uh, just just getting right into it. <laughs> Today's another discussion episode. Um, so no no uh fun ideas for crossovers or weird Marvel stuff today. Yeah, this um, except this for podcast, the ones that we just bring up in passing. Like these episodes of podcast should be called Talking Sh Blankety Blankety because it's really what we do. Yeah. Yeah, um, we just kind of talk about whatever. I mean, it's always related to nerd stuff. Um, that's yeah, yeah, mostly because that's all Brandon and I really know. But uh, that is all I cared to learn in life. Exactly, but yeah, like this is this is just kind of like a typical, like a that's like a normal talk show podcast today. Yeah, um, you don't, and have to, it's even, it, you don't have to pull even, out the the notebook and paper and try to pinpoint where we messed up on in our Marvel year one. Uh, yeah, stuff. yeah, you, you you don't have to try to keep track of the fact that I singled in like like I honed in on the idea of Modoc being our third arc villain for both Captain <laughs> America and X-Men, and then we never bring him up again for the rest yeah, of the Yeah, whenever episode. I was listening to it, I was like, oh yeah, I remember him saying that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but this is even more like a talk show today because, uh, I, Terry actually landed us a pretty, uh, a pretty major guest today. He did. He did. You want to tell yeah, him yeah. who our guest is? Our guest? Well, I'll have him introduce himself, sir. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Alan Moore. Oh my gosh. We've got Alan Moore into the studio, guys. That's right, Alan Moore. Alan, how have you been doing? Um, I'm doing good, you know, waving my stick around in the woods and casting magic to the snake god I made up. That was a big thing I wanted to ask you, Alan. Like, what do you do exactly with all this magic and, and all this sorcery you do? That seems like all you do nowadays. You don't even write anymore. Well, okay, here's, here's what I do with it. What I do is I go out in the woods with a really big stick, right? Like and Teddy I'll, Roosevelt, I'll... carry a big stick. Sure, whoever <laughs> that is. Um, I go out in the woods with a really big stick and I rub my beard all over it until it starts to fire. And then I wave the flaming stick around, shouting, hoopaha. Hoop-a-ha, and bouncing back and forth in a crab walk sort of style, right? I even click my fingers to get a look at crab sometimes. And then... And then I find the, the big dookie pile I leave out in the woods because that's where I go dookie, is out in the woods. And I extinguish the flaming stick in the dookie pile. And then I go back to my hut made of mud and twigs and... I do mushrooms. Man, Alan Moore, that sounds crazy. You have to tell me what that whole ritual... You have to tell me what that whole ritual was for. Like, why did you do it? Oh, to give me visions. Oh, nice. Visions of of what the universe really looks like. Um, Since I don't write comic books anymore, um, because I hate the comic book industry, um, I just... I, I I don't really use the visions for much of anything anymore. I kind of draw pictures in the dirt, and then and then I swipe them away. Like, well, that was that. 
man, that's crazy. So what, what is one of these visions you've seen? I mean, it has to be incredible. I once, uh, I once had a vision of a talking eight-foot-tall opossum named Daryl. An eight-foot-tall opossum named ta- Daryl. And he told me one of the great secrets of the universe. You know the, um, the you know, nebula we can see called Pillars of Creation, I think is what the scientists call right. it. Um, made entirely of papier-mâché, apparently. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so all of creation, those pills holding up, made up entirely of paper and glue. That is insane, Alan Moore. Yeah. The more you know, right? I I guess I'll believe you. I mean, you don't really have much choice, do you? No, I mean... You've done so many great works, and now you're off doing this. I mean, it it has to be justified. Yeah, so so many great works that the industry just rips away from you and makes into billion dollar film franchises against your wishes. Yeah, that is true. But uh, Alan, you you signed on to those companies. You should have known farewell that the creators of Superman they. They didn't really get anything. Like, how how did you not see that coming? Well, I don't have time to read contracts. You think I know how to read? <laughs> but Alan, you're you're a writer. Please, it's Mister Moore. I'm sorry, Mister Moore. You're a writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <clears throat> I laugh like an American lad. I can tell, oh. yeah. You sound much younger in your laughter. Uh, yes, I'm a writer. I could read back when I was writing, but I've done so so much DMT and mushrooms at this point that uh, it kind of fried that part of my brain. Oh, I get you. I get you. So, so if you... That that's crazy though, and you don't really like Grant Morrison, but it seems like with all the stuff you do now, you would love Grant Morrison. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Well, Alan, it it was great having you here. Um, I'll let you go back to your wood mud hut forest thing and do your thing. Yeah, I didn't have any plans for what to do after this interview, but I did see a comic book store on my way in, so I think I'll just set that on fire. On my oh, way that home. sounds like a plan. I'm Mr. Moore. All right. Miss, Mr. Moore, yeah. Don't you forget it. Cheeky little ragamuffin. All right, Mr. Moore. Where's that Terry fellow? I like that Terry fellow. Okay, let him go. All right, now. Terry, can you show Mr. Moore out the door? Ah, jeez. I mean... Terry speeded up. Yeah, so that was. <laughs> so that was Alan Moore. Man, that was amazing. Like, just to get that perspective yeah. of how the crap he writes, what he writes. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Amazing. You know, it's 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 astounding too how we were able to afford him. I had to pay him entirely in, in psilocybin mushrooms and acid. That makes complete um, sense. So he he did not he did not want cash. Really? Um, yeah. 
So well, I mean, <laughs> it, it makes sense. Like he doesn't want anything that ties anywhere near the industry, and obviously, any type of industry makes money. So yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah, I'm 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 surprised that uh um he agreed to be on a podcast called Store Brand Comics. Yeah. You know, he's such a he's such a recluse at this point. Maybe I, I forgot. Whenever we booked him like a week or two ago, I think we told Terry because Terry was the one who who uh, got him booked for us. I think we told Terry to like tell him it was called like a poop cast or talking crap on comics. It was something like that. Oh, oh, I see. I see how it is. Okay, yeah, and he did mention that whole thing with the dung pile in the woods. Yeah, it makes sense. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So Alan Moore famously, uh, famously hates adaptations of his work. Oh yeah, oh yeah, big time. And that's uh, that's kind of uh, the segue I wanted to work into by uh, having um, an interview with the man himself. Who was actually here um, only moments ago? He really was, and pre uh, informed us that he didn't come here in a car. He came here riding on toads of all things. He said it was from the forest. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. It was like this bizarre like collection of toads and they all hopped as if they were one body but like they weren't forming anything it was just a bed of toads yeah, it's it's very odd but it, it it heightens the the mysticism that is alan moore he's like the santa claus of the woods now <laughs> that's a weird thing <laughs> but yeah so um yeah, I did kind of want to use use Alan Moore as like a springboard, I guess, for a discussion on um, adaptations of of comic books, essentially. Okay, yeah. Um, at least to start, at least to start the episode off with, and um, a part of this has to does have to do with the fact that um, like it's been officially announced now that in twenty twenty one, I think we're a little late to the party for discussing this right. one at this point. Um, uh, cause at the time of recording, this was announced like last yeah, week yeah. and by the time it's published, it'll be a week after yeah. recording, but maybe uh, someone's living under a rock or maybe someone doesn't care about it at all. Yeah. But by the time this even hits the airwaves, like we'll be two weeks out from the initial discussion yeah. as it is, but it's still something I want to touch yeah. on. Um, the, uh, the, Snyder cut the hashtag Snyder cut is real it is um and it is being released on HBO Max next year apparently and um yeah so yeah just I kind of wanted to talk about like the nature of comic book adaptations and like just viewer and fan perception of it yeah so so we can first start off talking about the the Snyder cut itself and then if we uh, want to talk about further adaptations that have happened with other comics we can but uh oh yeah, yeah, yeah. my first uh it, it was odd whenever you had mentioned this last week about us talking about this like it, it's a perfect thing to talk about but i remember last week when you had mentioned it i was like oh like why why are they doing this but then the thing is i remember whenever justice league first came out 
whenever it first came out in yeah. 2017. I watched it, and most people you watch it, you either think it's like, like good, okay, or like some people think it's dog crap. Um, and I remember watching it, and I was like, eh, it was meh. And then, like, right after the movie came out, or even before it came out, they were talking about how there was like a Snyder cut. Like, Snyder, Snyder had a bunch of stuff in it. If only they saw Snyder's dream. And I remember back then thinking like, yeah, that would be cool to see it because you watch Justice League now and you're like, how is this $300 million? Like, can you explain that to me? I'll tell you how it was $300 million. Paying two different directors, um, one of which to effectively rewrite the film. Um, and, uh, reshooting more than half the film. Yeah, that is true. They um, to get it in a state that the studio considers yeah. workable, even though it was not. Um, and then but it was... releasing it to the world after all that yeah. takes place, after cutting a huge amount of what was already but it was like shot. very rushed reshoots because it was like something that they had to change like instantly and then when you watch the movie you can yeah. see how rushed it really is i mean it, it's been yeah. it's been beaten yeah, to death but anything dealing with superman and his his henry cavill's mustache at the time how they had to cgi it out like uh yeah and um uh, Bruce Wayne's initial conversation with Aquaman when Aquaman's jumping into the water that is so poorly oh, yeah. green screen. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of the movie that is like poorly green screen. Like a good a good showing yeah. of green screen and like I, in terms of DC Comics, I like DC Comics more than Marvel. But in terms of the movies, Marvel's knocking it out of the park. And like something like uh, Endgame or something like the green screen looks fantastic. Like it looks, it looks good. Yeah. Like maybe if you like freeze frame some stuff and go like frame by frame, maybe you can point some stuff out. You can have like Collider Digital do that. But um, but yeah, it looks great. And then with this one, you don't even have to freeze frame it. You just see how bad some stuff looks. Yeah, yeah, and and it, and in Justice League, it go it just goes beyond um like your typical bad superhero green screen like you can spot in a lot of superhero movies, like um, it it is like just really noticeably, like bad rush, oh, yeah. uh green screen work. Like you can tell that you can tell which parts were shot on location and which parts were shot on a soundstage made to look yeah. like the location. Um, it's kind of like in uh, Fantastic, um, with Kate yeah. Mara's wig, uh, where like there are some shots where it's like you can tell that's her actual hair that's been dyed blonde, and some shots where it's like oh yeah, that's the reshoot yeah. wig right there. So this this part was shot, you know, after the initial when they were trying to rush to right. salvage the movie, even though it probably didn't need to be salvaged because that's that's a huge issue with um with superhero movies these days as well is any studio that isn't Marvel that schedules last minute reshoots, you should know is um, going to put out a bad products because they're struggling to make something that they think uh, will um, like make a ton right. of money uh, and, and will appeal to audiences more. But 
The thing is, most studio executives are so horrendously out of touch. They have no idea what an actual audience going to see a superhero movie wants. Even the average moviegoer who knows nothing about these superhero characters before seeing the movie is going to be turned off by, you know, a bad superhero movie. Like, they might not, um, you know, judge it, like, as, like, oh, that was a good, uh, you know, representation of the character and all that. They'll just judge it based on, like, oh, well, that wasn't a yeah, good movie. exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's the com- it's the comic book nerds like you and me who care about how our favorite characters are represented on screen, but the average moviegoer is just going to be like, oh, well, that was yeah, just a bad yeah. movie. So like, so like when studios are rushing to do these reshoots, I, I um, like I feel like I like I don't know what they're trying to do with a lot of those sorts of things because I feel like a lot of the reshoots they do are just unnecessary. Yeah. I- compared to what you often hear are the original plans that the, the directors yeah, and writers have. Definitely. After the facts, because with social with social media being everywhere now, these directors have an open platform, especially when they're disgruntled, like a like Josh Trank oh, yeah. certainly and was then, after uh, Forstick. Was it Aaron Wright um, who first was on Ant Man? Um, oh God, what is his name? Is it not Aaron Wright? Oh. It's not. It's not Aaron Wright. It's uh, Edgar Wright. Um, Thank Edgar you. Wright. Yeah, yeah, Edgar Wright. Yes, I don't know how we forgot that name. He directed yeah, uh, Scott. One of the Burger. best movies ever. Yeah, and yeah. a comic book movie, which is like, um, brief side tangent. Scott Pilgrim is so great. There's nothing like it when you watch it. Like it, yeah. we're here, we're here to make you think about death and stuff. I mean, like, it, there's just so much stuff that, like, I don't know. I feel like. I don't know how it did in box office. I'm sure it didn't do amazing. It may have even, yeah. Probably not. Great, I feel like though. if it came out today or like within the past few years, it would have done pretty good. Oh yeah, that that is like yes. millennial the movie, and it's I don't know. It's just like I, I always say it's like the closest thing you'll ever, and this is a weird combination of media, but it's the closest thing you'll ever see to like a movie and video game combining like it feels like a video game but it's also a movie i mean it feels like a video game just because of the simple stuff whenever he beats an opponent and coins go everywhere different stuff like that but yeah well that's because the original comic book was heavily inspired by video games as well like it used a ton of video game iconography which is Um, which is so it, it makes me happy for whoever distributed it oh it was universal um I have the DVD, so I was looking at it. Uh, Universal. It who? Oh, Universal. You're talking about the movie. I thought no, you no, I, the, I meant uh, the movie. I was, what I was getting at was it's so crazy to me that they like stayed with that tone. Because like we were saying a second ago, it seems like yeah. studios a lot of times are out of touch with that type of media. Yeah, but I feel like at the same time, though... Um... If you're a, a big studio getting a director like Edgar Wright to uh, do um, like a movie like that, it's one of those ones where it's like you've got faith in yeah. the weirdness. Yeah. Like it's it's one of the rare instances where a studio understands like it's the weird things that yeah. make this one click. I really want to see what the budget. Is. Whereas, yeah, yeah. Whereas you get the vast majority of superhero films that aren't made by marvel studios 
um, where the uh, executives are desperate to remove anything that feels weird, anything that that feels like not like just a normal action movie or a normal science fiction movie. It's like any anything that isn't like in line with basically uh, something you would probably see in a Star Wars or Star Trek movie. Um, although the the original first Star Trek movies, freaking oh weird. yeah, definitely. I was just looking up the budget and box office. So the budget for Scott Pilgrim was eighty five million dollars, which like that is that is crazy in two thousand ten cents. Like that is like that is a studio yeah. like making a huge gamble on this type of property because superhero movies weren't like huge then and this isn't a superhero movie but those type of geek movies is what i mean they weren't huge in 2010 like they are now i mean now you got ready player one and it made i don't know how much but hundreds of millions of dollars like yeah well yeah well nowadays if they wanted to market spot spot skillgram uh if they wanted to market scott pilgrim Nowadays, if they wanted to market Scott Pilgrim effectively, all they would have to do is say "based on oh, yeah. the graphic novel" in the in yeah. all the, in all the trailers, and they they have to have a a good trailer as well. Based on the best yeah. selling, I, I would novel. say for the most part, yes on that. The one part where I would say you got to have a good trailer as well, representing this unique idea, is uh, um, the Valerian movie. Uh, because that like yeah. tanked at the box office. I went and saw it, and it's actually a pretty yeah. decent movie. I remember watching it because I remember seeing the trailer, and there was a scene in the trailer where the guy's like running through this area and shooting like these like these things down so that he can like run across this air area. It just looked really cool. Like that trailer yes. got me, but apparently it didn't get a lot of people because it didn't it didn't make money. Yeah, because yeah, because unfortunately, um, the Valerians, the Valerian movie was such a weird concept that um, it's difficult to properly communicate it through a trailer. Uh, So, like, and and um, I really want to read them, but I'm I'm curious to see if the Valerian and Laureline graphic novels are actually yeah, like because a lot of times a studio Um, will take this IP. And they'll use characters, but it'll be like completely different from the comic or the graphic novel. Yeah. Yeah. And Valerian and Laureline is like a really yeah. old French it's, graphic yeah, novel. Yeah. It's like very series. And I'll give that to uh, the writer as well as studio and everything. That's another one where it's like, that's a very, like, very gutsy move, a very gambling type move like yeah. this could definitely backfire there's but, no guarantee with that movie that, again though that one is a symptom of the growing pains of the industry realizing um, that comic yeah. book movies can work uh, because as soon as a, the movie industry realizes something hits they will go all in on it regardless of like popularity they, they will think that all they have to do is slap based on the graphic novel onto a trailer and it'll sell. Um, but if it's too obscure like Valerian, yeah. it won't. You're, you're not, not going to get uh, a lot of people with uh, 
<laughs> uh, alien strip dancer Rihanna Valerian. Yeah. Um, now, Marvel can get away with it because at this point they've established themselves as such a name that all they have to do is put Marvel Studios right. front and center on all their trailers. I and mean, with people that, will go running um, because they've established such a positive yeah, relationship. With that, it's essentially the which I wouldn't say back in the past, but I would say current day, it's essentially the Nintendo seal of approval where it's, it's a, it's a game yeah, pretty much. that is made by Nintendo and is licensed by Nintendo. Not it's made by another publisher. No, Nintendo made it. So your, your yeah. legends of Zelda's, your Pokemon, your, all that stuff. Yeah. My- and people see that those names and they see Nintendo made it and they snatch it right up. It's, yeah, it's the same exact thing with Marvel. It's that, it's that quality guarantee, basically. Yeah, yeah. Mar- Marvel's oh, yeah. got that Nintendo polish. You know, I would say, um, funnily enough, the Spider-Man movies are probably the closest thing to a Pokemon equivalent Nintendo's got, because Pokemon is made by yeah. like a second-party company that's got like an exclusive deal with yeah. Nintendo. It's made by Game Freak, so it's like, uh, but like. Pokemon is still regarded as a Nintendo franchise because Game Freak has been working pretty much exclusively for Nintendo since it yeah, exactly. started making video games. Um, so uh, it's like it's kind of funny where it's like the new Spider-Man movies are probably the closest equivalent to a to a Pokemon analogy that uh, um, Marvel's got since it is really Sony making those movies. Yeah, and. Briefly looking at Scott Pilgrim again, like, uh, you can see where, like, this is 2010. And when you watch the movie, you can kind of feel that, like, late 2000s vibe to it. And, like, but it also has, like, it's, like, uh, great geek moments and stuff. But the box office of it, so I said it, the budget was $85 The box office was basically half of that. It was $48.1 So like that's that's sad to see a movie like that because then studios from then on, if they see anything that remotely kind of looks like this, just kind of back away from it. And that's kind of sad to see. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the mentality that um, yeah. Hollywood tends to adopt um, is it's like, oh. Uh, this didn't make money. That means everyone hates right. it and will never make anything like it again. Um, now it does kind of help Scott. Oh Cooper yeah, stand out in that regard though. That like yeah. it's the only thing like itself, and it has yeah. a huge cult following at this point. And it's it's you know regarded highly and beloved nowadays. The internet loves it, even though Brie Larson yeah. is in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and that's that's not me saying I dislike Brie Larson. That's just me making an observation yeah. and kind of a joke. I mean, um, we've got we've got a few Marvel people and... in this movie. <laughs> we've got Captain America. Yeah. We've got uh, we've got a former Captain Superman Marvel. slash now Superman because he was in the CW stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's he's the only Superman actor to be both former yeah. and current Superman. Um, um, although there are oh, a bunch yeah, of yeah. supermen now, like everywhere, all over the place, oh, so yeah. many supermen. Yeah, I, I forget CW. 
there there's a Superman for every for every flavor of cereal. I like brief thing. I wish I had read this. I might pick up like a cheap trade one day of the uh what was it? New Superman. It came out during the rebirth time. It was basically like the Chinese Superman. Oh right, yeah. the Chinese Superman. I kinda wanna check out at least the first volume of that. I am curious because I know that evolved into like a I think its title changed partway through its run to like New Superman and the Justice League of China. Like I think that turned into like a a Chinese Justice League. Because Batman and Wonder Woman were like in it. But it was it was like the like Asian equivalent of those characters. Yep. And and for those who are curious who are listening, no, it's not a Chinese bootleg version of Superman. It's actually it's actually published by DC where they made a series about Chinese equivalent superheroes to the American. I think eventually it did get canceled. It was one of those books that like weren't selling the best during rebirth, but it didn't get like canceled right away like some of the other ones did. Um, but eventually it did. Yeah, I I I feel like it yeah. had at least a respectable run, but uh, it does feel like one of those yeah. ones that would have been. I mean, it was kind of like uh, ones that were lower than it, like Blue Beetle. I think, I don't know how many issues it got in during Rebirth, but it was probably like 15. Then yeah. it was dropped, like stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, Blue Beetle never seems to get very the far. The problem is, in a solo series. I think you need to go Ted Cord Blue Beetle if you want to, like, if you want to like strike a chord or anything, the thing is, I think, yep, <laughs> no pun intended, literally. Um, but uh, but the thing is, with the uh, the other guy, the newer one, where it's like the alien tech and stuff, yeah, I think I'm it's a- too weird for people, even though they're reading these superhero comics with aliens and all this stuff, that part is a little too weird for them, I feel like. But at the same time, I don't feel like weirdness is that much of a deterrent in comic books. Because, um, you know, you look at the people who read comic books. We read some weird stuff, dude. Saga is the strangest comic book I think I've ever read. And it's Okay, hold on. I, I changed popular. my statement because I was thinking about a perfect example of this. I don't think it's weirdness. I think it's, I don't think this is what it is. It's always the writer. Like, how is the story? Um because uh, yeah. you can take these characters that no one cares about and bring it to where everyone loves them. I mean, the perfect example of that is what Tom King does, like with the vision, with Mr. Miracle, and now Adam Strange, and I've heard that's really good. Yeah, he's definitely one of those writers yeah. who's good at working with obscure characters. And I think, which he, he is a fantastic writer when it comes to writing those type of characters, but I think it really does help with not having not having things okay with those characters, not having like quintessential stories beforehand. Because once, because when you think of the character That's Mr. Miracle, point. you're like, okay, where are the best Mr. Miracle stories? People will most likely say, oh, go to Tom King's uh, book and then look at the classic Jack Kirby stuff. And then, 
Yeah, because other than Jack Kirby and Tom King, yeah. no one's really that's what I'm done saying. anything with that's it. That's what I'm saying. Those type of Nothing obscure characters. I think like Tom King's already a fantastic writer, but whenever he gets a character that doesn't have a book that is notable in any way, then it shines even more for him. Yeah, you see, that's why um, if I were to work for DC as a writer, I would want someone like Captain Adam. Captain Adam doesn't have like a definitive, right? Like, this yeah. is the quintessential Captain Adam story. Like, like right now, um, we're kind of reaching um, a point now where we have stories for our generation, like. Our generation's quintessential Thor story is probably yeah. Jason Aaron's entire run, um, and our generation's uh, like quintessential uh, like Captain America story, um, for better or for worse, yeah, is probably I would say, the Empire uh, storyline. Yeah, for our generation, probably. I would say like the like, like a we, few years earlier, I would say like Ed. Uh, I can't talk. Ed Brubaker's run. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I mostly say that because that's when that's when you introduce a lot of the fascinating modern day stuff. That's when you introduce Winter Soldier and all that stuff, like like stuff that is like yeah, yeah. I guess if I, if I'm going for a whole generation, I got to go further back to the <laughs> 2010s. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and like uh, and then flipping over to like the uh, the DC side, like our. Our generation's defining Batman storyline right. is going to be Scott Snyder's. Court I mean, they're, they're, yeah, storyline. Yeah. I would definitely say, yeah, Scott Snyder's, uh, Court of Owls and like a lot of Scott Snyder's stuff that he's done on Batman. But like, uh, but there are still those, those quintessential stories with a character like Batman, who is the most popular character of all time, basically. Um, cause, cause you have your quintessential, yeah. uh, your, frank miller stuff with dark knight returns you have your arkham asylum with uh grant morrison you've got you've got all this different stuff there's so many like you can pull up a an article and if you're a comic fan or at least a batman fan you'll see top 25 batman stories and most likely you've read at least half of those because they are those quintessential batman stories yeah and yeah. then you and then you think to more obscure characters like Captain Adam or yeah. uh, Resurrection Man, and you're like, what yeah. are their? You're, you're not gonna you're not stories? gonna see a like, top twenty five even um, quintessential uh, Resurrection Man stories. You're not gonna see a top twenty five Frankenstein DC stories. You're not gonna see that stuff. You'll see a top like yeah three but then when you read it you see like two stories that are like mediocre and then the one that's number one is like eh, that's good but i could easily see something better coming to this character yeah yeah and there are even series like i vampire that doesn't even have enough material yeah. to have a top anything stories <clears throat> like that so it's like yeah there's there's a lot of really obscure stuff i would love if, if I ever worked for DC, I would love to write. <clears throat> I would basically love to be like, if they ever relaunched and brought me on as a writer, I'd love to be the architect of their oh, horror yeah. Yeah. section of their universe. 
Yeah, because I love for DC me, I, I love characters. the horror characters. For me, it, it's like uh, it'd be a little bit different for me. I think I like uh, I think I like Marvel's horror characters more. But um, yeah, I, I think really? there's. I find that weird. Uh, what? Okay, here's the thing. DC, if you want, like the almost the like Cthulhu, uh, Lovecraftian type horror. DC is where you go. That's where you go for that. Yeah. That is perfect for that yeah, Lovecraftian type horror. But I feel like uh, your your more uh, more modern type horror stuff, I think, uh, works well with the many type of street characters that you have in Marvel, even if they are those type of uh, horror type characters. It's still somewhat street level. That's why I say Marvel. But what, what I was getting at was like, if I was to write yeah. any type of horror stuff, I would want to go under uh, Joe Hill's uh, his uh, his what is it moniker? Not run, but it, it, like young animal. Like he has his own like uh, name brand on DC, and he makes horror okay. books for DC. They have nothing to do with with the actual DC yeah. comics or continuity. They're just horror books. It, it, it's 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 like a a revitalization of the 70s horror books that DC put out but he's like bringing them back like adding a more modern t- twist on them basically I would want to do something like that I guess hmm. yeah yeah for me if I were if I were a writer for hire um, for either of the big two companies um or i guess even for valiant as well i don't know if i would really want to um like have a whole imprint to myself necessarily i guess like i know i did just say <laughs> i would love to be the architect for their entire i'll give you the idea DC's but entire, uh, like horror jim lee but you, like <laughs> you're over this yeah <laughs> um but yeah uh like I, I guess what i mean when i say that is like if I were to write more than one character for them, I would mostly want to write yeah, their horror characters or Captain Adam. Um, cause, cause those are the ones that I feel like I could do the best with. Like as much as I would love to write animal man, I don't know if I can do any better than I would say. Morrison yeah. With the character animal man is like an obscure character, similar to like swamp thing. Those two are like C if not D list characters for DC, but yet, when you talk to people, yeah, like comic people, there are quintessential Swamp Thing stories. There are quintessential uh, Animal Man, Animal Man stories. Yeah. Oh yeah, and uh, a lot of a lot of Swamp Things like quintessential yeah, I mean, defining like, stories yeah, are written by Alan that's, Moore. That's one of the like top things in DC. If you just look up like top fifty or top hundred DC stories or comics, like. Alan Moore's saga of Swamp Thing will be one of those. Back onto our initial topic, since we didn't really flesh it out that much. Yeah, we barely <laughs> talked about the, the Snyder Cut. We got on a bunch of sidetracks, but we're good. Yeah. But um, with the Snyder Cut of Justice League that we were talking about like 30 minutes ago, I... Oh, it was like an hour ago at this point. Yeah, basically. But, um, but yeah, whenever the movie first came out, I was like, okay, it'd be interesting to see. Then whenever you mentioned this this topic last week, I was like, oh, like who cares? Because then I, I started getting angry almost. Like it was, it was a weird <laughs> thing. I have a yeah. weird 
weird little 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 brain and i was like scrolling through articles i was like how much is this going to cost why don't they just do something else with this and i saw how much it would cost for them to to do all this it was 20 to 30 million dollars i was like oh my gosh you could do something else with that but then i like started going online and like reading people's reaction to this and i realized that there actually are still a bunch of people that care about this yeah this has been a nearly three year long campaign this has been like a two and a half year long campaign at this point yeah because at one point i at one point i thought it was basically just a meme the release the snyder cut thing i thought it yeah that's that's how i was treating it yeah that that's what it seemed like was a meme but then you like read people's like reaction to this announcement that happened um recently and like people are actually like really excited for this yeah like like, something really weird but cool because like this is this is kind of like an obscure thing but what i mean by obscure is like this is something this is a movie that came out three years ago that most people said was garbage or was meh like that's what most people said yes there were people that thought it was good i'm saying most people you would see are like on the fence about it they're like meh it was okay it, it was forgettable most likely um but i just think it's so crazy that the studio when the when it releases it'll be four years old will revitalize this four-year-old movie and like i i kind of like that about dc i'm liking in terms of comics i'm not really liking dc right now because i miss rebirth but in terms of uh some of their other stuff other decisions they've been making i've really been liking it we talked about this before harley quinn that is like such a gamble that you're putting you're putting tens of millions of dollars, maybe even upwards of a hundred million dollars, maybe more into that show, that show that up until like a couple of weeks ago was just on your exclusive app that people had to sign up for. There was another subscription app. Like that is very risky to like, make a show that costs that much for that but it's it's such a good show but not only that it has all those different merits of it being basically rated r and it's a cartoon you have all these different things going against it if you're looking at it from a far away perspective but it's something that i really like about dc and the same thing goes for this where it's like like if it was me i'd be thinking like why would i do this like, why not just move on to another project? This is going to cost us 20 to $30 million. And then when we release it, we're releasing it on a subscription app. A subscription but, app that is that a ton of stuff is just hugely pirated off of it anyway. Game of Thrones is like the most pirated TV show in history. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like, it, it kind of, I, I love that type of initiative with DC, but also kind of makes me think like, like part of the reason they're doing is to like, try to promote that subscription. I understand that, but I'm questionable as to like how many people 
will actually get the subscription app just to watch that. Yeah. My my thing is probably not enough to recoup the costs. Yeah, that's what's like so crazy to me about it. Like, does HBO Max have a a trial period? Like a lot of them do. Do they have a, a one week or a two week trial period? And if so, those people that are like going to watch the Justice League Snyder Cut, I feel like they're just going to use that and then just drop it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, that's what people did with, with Game of Thrones, too, is like they would wait for the season to end, um, make a new free trial account, um, watch the whole season in one go, and then cancel the subs- the subscription before they had to pay for it. Yeah. So, uh, and like, with yeah, with HBO Max, it's like it's very tricky because it's not a Netflix, it's not a Hulu, and I think the one like new provider that's doing pretty good in terms of coming out of the gate is Disney Plus. Yes, but definitely. I think they're doing great, but I do think like it's it's definitely not as great as like the initial the initial couple of months. Because if you don't have kids or if you're not a huge Disney movie person or if you've seen all of them or if you own the DVDs like everyone does, if any of those factors play in, then a lot of people mostly got it just to watch The Mandalorian. Yeah, pretty much. As soon as The Mandalorian was over, it's like, okay, I don't want to keep paying $7 a month for something that I'm not really going to use because I don't have kids right i don't care to watch these movies i've seen plenty of times yeah so you either have people that forget to cancel it or people that remember to cancel it but then you also have people that love disney movies and you have families that still keep it on because it's perfect entertainment for your children but um but yeah i mean a lot of people got disney plus for the mandalorian yeah and shows like it but i mean like once once you're done watching that it's like okay i'm gonna cancel and then once season two is fully out not episode each week once it's fully out i'll do another month once i binge watch it i'll cancel again yeah yeah um yeah it's gonna be the same once the marvel shows start up on there too yeah um so yeah like disney plus i think is going to be stuck in a similar boat to hbo max where it's like um, it's such a, you know, they've been around for so long that anyone who's interested in their stuff is going to have all the stuff they care about from them already on DVD. Like right. Disney has fans and enthusiasts. Um, Disney, you know, is, is, is huge. They have so much. Um, yeah. and they have, you know, even more now after the Fox merger, but, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, yeah, and, and you're right. Like people will will already have all the things they care about on DVD or Blu-ray, or even like own it, a digital copy of it. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, because remember the uh, Disney rewards thing that would come in DVDs. Yeah, I remember this because I remember getting Pirates of the Caribbean too, 
and I saw one of those things. And from there, I was like getting a bunch of DVD, like Disney DVDs. And I'd ask people, Hey, do you still have that card? And they're like, yeah, I was, it's just in my DVD. I was like, give it to me, <laughs> and I'd get it. And I, I'd, I'd enter the code on Disney rewards back when that was a thing. And I'd try to see what I could get. And I was like, Oh man, these are so many cool prizes. And I saw like, Oh, Lion King on Broadway. Holy crap. 600,000 tickets. I have like 4,000. I guess I'll get a booster pack of Chronicles of the Narnia cards. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. Wow. But yeah. Um, so, so yeah, like with, with Disney, it's like really the best they're bringing at this point. Cause like looking at Hulu, um even like a ton of disney cartoons are still on hulu gravity falls is still on hulu um yeah. and it's like that's one of the main things i've been using disney plus for is watching gravity falls um because it was like well we have a dedicated disney app now i may as well get around to watching the show i've been wanting to watch and then i looked at hulu after i started watching gravity falls on disney plus i'm like oh it was already on hulu i could have just watched this whenever i wanted um, now i have a question um disney owns hulu whenever you a majority stake is hulu. yeah yeah i'm saying whenever you subscribe to disney is there a thing where like uh is there like a package deal you can do i believe there is a bundle okay where you can do disney plus and hulu at the same time um because okay. hulu is basically where disney's going to start dumping everything that they consider too mature for uh for disney plus yeah because that, that makes sense i think that show i was I think I told you about it a little while ago. Solar Opposites. Was that you? Right. Yeah, yeah. You told um, that's a 20th Century Fox show. And it's a little too mature for Disney+. Plus, So they put it on Hulu. Oh, okay. Because it's, you know, it's vulgar. It's violent. Um, it's sexual. So it's like, yeah, like it's, it's on Hulu instead because they don't want to directly associate it with the squeaky clean Disney name. That is kind of weird, though, because not all Disney stuff is, like, that clean. I mean, Marvel movies aren't entirely clean. Like, no. you, you, hear, you hear half the jokes in any of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and it's like, oh, my gosh, if my kid was, like, a little bit older, like, they'd understand this. But I understand that this is, like, not, not an appropriate joke, such as, Man, you should have seen this ship before. It looked like a Jackson Pollock painting. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like uh, not the cleanest jokes for that that family friendly Disney name. Yeah, and um, but but the here's the important thing though is that it's not rated R, and that's all Disney really cares yeah. about. Yeah, PG thirteen is the new PG. Yeah, that is true. And PG has become the new G. Because if you notice, yeah. nothing is rated G anymore when you go to the theater. Oh, no. It's always, yeah, it's always PG, yeah. Because our standards of acceptability, like what sorts of content is acceptable for those of younger ages, has changed as it will with, you know, with generations. Yeah. Now, I will say I, I definitely agree with, like, uh, nowadays we're, like, too as parents and as a culture in general, I think too desensitized about things. Yeah. But in terms, in terms of the movie thing we were talking about, I would say that even though we have way more rated R movies, like the, the ratio yeah. of like PG, PG 13 rated R 
is like very different than in the past. Like we have so many rated R movies nowadays compared to those. But I do think our rating system is still good because if you look in the past, if you look in the 80s and stuff like that, like PG or G was like very different. Like it, it could almost be like a PG-13 nowadays. Yeah, like, well, uh, back, back in the old days, like, there was no PG-13. Yeah, exactly. Like that, yeah, that's that's where it formed. I mean, like, yeah, PG-13, or not PG-13, uh, the Goonies, like nowadays, yeah. I would say would be PG-13. Not only that, Airplane, the movie Airplane with Leslie Nielsen. Oh, like yeah. It's a, it's a hilarious movie, but I would probably put it at rated R today. Yeah, only that, would, because, that would get an R rating today. Yeah, because of one specific scene. It's yeah, one I, I think very I exactly minor. What you're talking about too. Yeah, it's, all, it's, it's right there in your face, and it's like, oh my gosh, I took six-year-old little Jimmy here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you see that, and the whole joke is that it's right there in your face. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the joke of it. Yeah, that's the thing. I I love that movie because it's it's so hilarious, and there's not movies like it today. Like you had your parody movies like ten years ago that tried to do stuff like that but it just fell flat the mpaa seems to be a lot more reasonable than the comics code authority like ever was i'll, I'll definitely yeah i'll definitely admit that i will say um i think the comics code was a promising idea i yeah. i i think it was a good idea because if you look at some of those earlier comics like some of those i wouldn't want like my six-year-old because at that time you have like elementary kids or your prime audience for comics um i wouldn't want my my little kid like picking up this comic where like there's all kinds of crazy stuff in it so i understand and i agree with where i I agree with the premise how they handled it i think is yeah it's horrible it's it's it honestly feels unconstitutional. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely censorship. Um, yeah. And the and the fact that it was like this unofficial thing that they didn't even have to listen to makes it even crazier. Yeah, like the fact yeah. that everybody just bowed down to this thing. Yeah, because you had you had other like indie publishers and stuff like pop up in like the seventies and eighties that were basically giving a middle finger to the comics code. Yeah. So yeah, it was possible to go around it. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just think it's crazy that like this thing just popped up out of nowhere, and all the big publishers you just universally agreed, like, oh well, this is our god now. Yeah. And but then, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, like I was saying before, though, um, once you hit the '80s with like movie ratings and stuff, it's like, I think they had they had a lot to figure out which is why you get like such a wide range, especially in like the PG range for movies. Yeah. Um, so like PG 13 came about, um, like, I, I feel like we kind of had it figured out in like the late nineties and early two thousands with like what each rating really meant. Yeah. I, I would definitely, yeah, I would definitely say, uh, yeah, that's the perfect time to show representation for each one of those ratings is, yeah, that 90s and early 2000s. Cause you, plus, also, you had, like, I don't know. I, I would say, like, I would say you would have better 
PG-13 movies back then as compared to today because um, one, the desensitized whole thing, but like I think more theaters or, or just yeah, I guess movies and studios in general just see like, oh, like kids are still getting into R-rated movies. Like, let's, yeah. why not add this little extra thing that we wanted to add originally? Yeah. Um, yeah, like as, as, um, as movies are allowed to like get away with a little bit more, obviously they're going to try to get away with a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So, the whole, you know, give them an inch, he'll take a mile sort of thing. Um, So, yeah. uh, And then, like, also nowadays, um, I think some studios and theaters and all that are starting to realize that, like, a lot of parents just don't care what sorts of content their kids take in. um, No. Which I don't think is healthy. But No, uh, it's not at all. But part of that, it, it goes back to essentially that 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 80s period where like i would honestly say the 70s and 80s is where people started to get desensitized to stuff and then it yeah it just kept ramping up from there and now those people are now parents so now they're cool with that type of stuff kind of just because I, I was allowed to watch terminator when i was six yeah exactly like that type of stuff why can't my kid watch porn when he's six? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's crazy. Now, the thing is, I will say, like, I watched, like, uh, like Nightmare on Elm Street when I was, like, seven. Yeah. But, like, a lot of that stuff, it it depends on how, honestly, I, I, I think it depends on how you were raised, if, uh, if it's clear and cutthroat that like hey this is just entertainment like if if your parents are able to somehow get that across to you um then then it's it's really up to the parents at that point i I still don't think it should be up to the kids of like oh yeah uh uh, little johnny would you like a ticket to uh to bug's life or texas chainsaw massacre which one (laughs) you want Like, no, it should definitely still be up to the parent. Yeah. But um, I do kind of see that that uh, the point for that leniency. Um, yeah, my, my parents... In some cases. I, I feel like um, my parents probably did it, um, like, I think they did it well. Because they had a pretty tight control on, like, the age range of age range of content i had access to yeah and then at certain like age milestones at at different intervals they would start to age up the content i was allowed to see and um i feel like they would do it to kind of test my threshold to see like what i could take that's yeah Um, that's yeah and there were and there were certain movies that like I had better reactions to than others, so they would, you know, mo- you know, yeah, they would note that. moderate based yeah. on that. And it's yeah. gotten to the point now where, like, me and my sister and my parents, we've all sat and had like a week where we watched all, like the first seven Saw movies every night for a week together, yeah, as a family. Um, where it's like when I was a kid, I never thought that we would ever do that sort of thing together, but like, uh, 
but nowadays it's like yeah like we you know we just obviously as adults we're allowed to i've been allowed to um basically pick whatever movies i want to watch since i was 16 years old because my parents you know have trusted my judgment right. um, they 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 trust that i know what my limits are for content yeah yeah um, so uh so like that's just like that, that's what i think is the healthiest way to do it is like um just like start your kid off like you know softball them give them stuff that is made for kids to start yeah. with once they start hitting age milestones start aging it up a little bit see what yeah. they can handle and... but don't just like jump straight into something insane but like you're yeah, saying like, 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 uh, like it's, kind it's of like build. The jump from it's like the jump from dora the explorer to ben 10 yeah yeah like like and then and then from from ben 10 to like naruto which is i yeah, would say yeah. a little more mature um at least in terms of content um and right. like you know naruto to i don't know whatever something more aggressive and more mature than naruto would be uh i'll <laughs> say it, it'd have to be like something in you have naruto then something and then like death note would be the next step after well, that actually, thing I feel after like death naruto note would probably be the next step up from naruto maybe yeah cuz cuz death note isn't isn't as crazy or bad as other ones yeah um and like just kind of you know work your way up like once every couple of years um or even you know if your kid you know shows like an abnormal maturity for their age once every couple months yeah like you know just just assess what your kid can handle and figure it out from there that's my recommendation yeah that's essentially Um, what my parents did um like they they did have limits and like you were saying like whenever i reached a certain age they would allow me to watch something like for for a while i wasn't allowed to watch family guy like i like they didn't officially say hey you can watch family guy till i was like 12 or 13 something like that maybe 13 Mm -hmm. um but but i mean like if you're a kid and you can stay up later than your parents then you and your brother will sneak into the living room and silently watch family guy and adult swim anyway but yeah i mean that that's a part of the childhood lifestyle is kind of that discovery as well yeah there were there are a few things that um i would see where i was like i don't know if i'm allowed to watch this i mean yeah <laughs> me and my brother definitely knew we weren't allowed to watch like most of the stuff on robot chicken which is why we were like very like uh like quiet in the living room and like maybe this happened like once or something i can't remember but if the parent if if mom or dad came in we would like pretend like we were asleep like we uh we fell asleep watching cartoons and now it it just so happens to be on adult swim now that sort of thing (laughs) yeah um uh one thing for me is now i always avoided adult swim not because i knew i wasn't allowed to watch it but because nothing on it appealed to me when i was that young yeah um uh, but there, there was um, this thing where anytime, basically anytime Toonami came on and it was all anime, there was just yeah. something about anime where I would see it and think like, I'm probably not allowed to watch this. Yeah. Um, and so like I watched Naruto when I was younger and never told anybody about it because um, I didn't want <laughs> my mom to like find out what Naruto was and be like, oh, well, you're not allowed to watch this now. That was, that was kind of the weird thing about uh adult swim because you had tsunami that would come on 
on that and you'd have the adult swim uh uh logo in the yeah. bottom corner and uh i think that also played into it because samurai jack would come on on tsunami yeah. and you have the adult swim thing right below that but if you watch samurai jack if you compare like i don't know about the most recent season i know they made that like tvma or whatever but yeah that was an past, adult swim uh, yeah. season yeah but past uh episodes of samurai jack like they feel a lot like modern day cartoons in the sense of uh it's not that bad yeah yeah how do we get on this topic i have no idea um adaptation justice league yes uh oh what were we trying to say about it right a lot of money hbo pirating um yeah, I think it's a it's a it's an interesting maneuver or idea from DC. It's very like I think it's kind of catering to the fans. I know they're mostly doing it to try to promote their HBO Max thing. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a a very interesting idea for those fans. Those fans no, you- will finally see it. Here's the thing, though. When you say catering to the fans, that is actually something I wanted to touch on. Okay. Um, This is, I think, a symptom of what I like to call uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog precedent. Yes. Yeah, this this feels a lot like what they did with Sonic. Yes. And see, the thing about Sonic the Hedgehog is, yeah, that old design form was bad. But the way it was handled set a very, very bad precedent for how much control the audience is allowed to have yeah, over, I, over media. I would agree. Um, now, sometimes it can lead to good things. But the problem is, like, the internet is is so tricky if you're just basing it off of dollars that haven't been shown to you yet. Yep. If, if you're going to do all these animations back over again and spend millions of dollars, which, uh, which is cost effective, you have to back up deadlines, which also costs money because yeah. um, you've, you've signed deals and all that stuff. Um, and you haven't seen a dollar yet from the consumer because you're just assuming that, oh, they complained about it. They'll show up now. Now that we yeah. we gave them what they wanted. Yeah. No, that's not how it works. No. And the thing is, like, that stuff is coordinated. They had so much merchandise ready with that old Sonic design ready to go. Oh, yeah. They can't, they can't ever use now. It's now locked up in a warehouse. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's crazy to me. And... Now, it did end up working out in Sonic's favor, ultimately, because yeah. that movie turned out to not be bad, right. which yeah. shocked me. It, that surprised me. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard a lot of people who were very cynical about it leading up to release speaking um, positively about it afterwards. Yeah, and eventually so, eventually, I'll probably see it. But um, and, and I do feel like it was like in the, in the best favor because... Uh, the the old Sonic design, like everyone trashed it and stuff, um, yeah. and like uh, it did cost millions. But when you look at it, like how much it actually cost, it didn't cost as much as a lot of people thought. Um, yeah, 
but still like it's it's like that that situation that scenario it turned out good but the thing is there are going to be a lot of other scenarios where studios pull that maneuver and it's going to go horribly wrong for them yes not not um, every studio will have a sonic the hedgehog moment where fans negatively reacted to this thing they had so then the studio backtracks and changes it for the fans but then once it comes release date they're not recuperating their losses yeah it's like a um well fans who petitioned to have uh episode eight of star wars the last jedi uh removed from canon and just done over wait was that a thing that was a thing there was a petition to have it removed from canon and they just do episode eight over. No, you can't do that. And that's not, that's not how it works though. You can't, no. just, you can't just petition something and be like, here, do this for us. Oh, like, I'm, no, I'm going to no. go on, I'm going to go on change.org and I, I'm going to make it where, uh, where Alan Moore, um, he, he <laughs> writes Watchmen again and, uh, all of them are, uh, uh, they're all gay. The Watchmen. That's that's okay, what that, they are. That that does lead me a little bit into another topic I wanted to use as an example. Oh, of, really? Of toxic relationships between creators and fans. Yeah. Um, Voltron Legendary Defender. I remember. Um, is did the show first come out in like 2016 or something? Yeah, it went from 2016 to 2018. It ran for three years and eight seasons. Okay. I, I remember um, watching the first episode. I like back in 2016. I was at a friend's house, and uh, the animation looks great. It just wasn't for me. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the benefit of the first episode of that series being an hour long. It gives you ample time in one episode to determine whether or not it's for you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I watched that thing all the way to the end. And um, now I will say this toxic relationship is much more the fault of the creators than the, than the fans um, at this point. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, because here's, here's how it goes. So, so Voltron starts, right? Right. Um, and uh, it's an enjoyable show. It's pretty good. It scratches a similar itch left by Avatar, the last airbender. And you can't quite put your finger on why, but it does. And, um, then like, you know, uh, it garners like a pretty huge following, um, and a decent chunk of that following is, uh, like an LGBT audience. Right. Um, and then the shippers get a hold of the characters and um, it's like, Ooh, Keith and Lance are a pretty cute couple. Right. So Clance becomes a thing. Oh boy. Um, so, and it isn't until after the Clance ship becomes a thing that the writers started romantically coding interactions between Keith and Lance without outright stating that the two of them are attracted to each other because they have to bait um, the LGBT community into keeping commit, committed to the show. Yeah. Um, and, like, eventually it gets to a point where, uh, like, okay you've been stringing everybody along you know for this long now um like so so what's up and eventually the creators announce 
not in the show. It's it's never stated outright in the show. Right. They announced it like a panel or something that Shiro, the leader of Voltron, is gay. Um, and that and that they were going to introduce his boyfriend in the next season. Uh, but the thing is, his boyfriend was only present in flashbacks. The way they interacted with each other had zero romantic coding whatsoever. So, like, you couldn't even tell they were in a relationship. Right. And then he's dead by the time Shiro actually makes it back to Earth. Uh, so that was very poorly handled. Yeah. Um, and then they tried to make up for it with the end of season eight with a literal last second um, wedding with Shiro and this random dude that nobody cares about. Um, and like, it, it is literally the last shot of this show. My question like, is, I'm not joking. my question is leading up to this, like, are there any hints of it in the beginning episodes of like, of, uh, of, like them being gay or straight no that's like yeah, that's for for the for these characters there is zero like lance first as far as anybody knows is straight okay because he instantly shows a really strong attraction to princess Alora the second he meets her okay because yeah I... so like as, as as far as anyone is aware lance is straight but because the shippers um, liked, they wanted Keith and Lance to smooch on each other, the writers started writing their scenes uh, to make it seem like they were, you know, a couple, right. basically. Or at least like they were attracted to they each were, other. They were, yeah, um, it's like and, you were saying, even, they're baiting the LGBTQ community. Yeah, King Talk, the community. Yeah, and like they... They even had it like voice voice acted like the two of them were like into each other. Uh-huh. Like you get Lance like like uh you know smokily stating like yeah, we do make a good team. Uh, it's like ugh. It's- the thing <laughs> is, the thing is, I have and we we've talked about this before. Whenever we were talking about shipping, I have no problem with with LGBT community being in in anything. Like I, it's it's natural. It's it's how our world is. My problem is basically when you take a property. We talked about this before. When you take a property and essentially you have this character that has that type of background, and I might be literally repeating stuff, but has that type of background of like, a, let's say, I mean, we talked about this with Batman and Joker shipping. You have Batman, who is a character who has been shown he is straight. He's straight. Yeah. He, he likes Catwoman. He wants to marry Catwoman. He likes Talia. He, he likes uh, Silverstone, whatever her name is from the 90s. You see that Batman likes women. <laughs> you see that he had a child with a woman. You see that he likes women. Yeah. If you all of a sudden like made it to where like Batman loved the Joker. That would be very weird. Fans wouldn't like that because that's not who the character is. That's not, that's not who we were introduced to. There's no problem if you want to do something like that, but you can't do that with a well-established character of how we know this character thinks. And then you're just completely turning it into something else. Yeah. And it's like, um, it's like with Iceman um, as well. When, uh, 
I'm, I'm going to be honest. Iceman had his chance to come out like years and years and years yeah. ago. Cause um, I believe there was, there was a moment in the comics where North star like confessed that he was attracted to Iceman. And I think he asked him if he was also interested And Iceman was like, no, I'm, I'm straight. Like Iceman had his chance to come out. So making him gay years and years later, um, just for the sake of having a gay character, it's like, okay. And, and then having him come out later. Yeah. That's, I guess that's not as much of a big deal. He might, he just might not have been ready. Yeah. To he could have been when closeted. That time. Yeah. But at the, at the same time though, his behavior changed entirely. Oh, okay. They started writing him like a, like a, the token gay guy. on. A okay. City. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. That, yeah, that's where the issue comes in. It's like once once the way you write the character changes after that revelation, that's that's not yeah, good. Because like he doesn't become a totally different person just because he exactly gay. yes he doesn't suddenly become this flamboyant hyper feminine gay dude. He's just a gay exactly. dude. exactly. Yeah, it. but being gay is not like his his defining thing about him. He is Iceman. He has these powers and whatever characteristics he has that's what he is who just so happens to be gay that's how it should be looked at but if you're trying to make it like punch people in the face with this it's like what are you doing you're going about this all wrong yeah and i think um now now in terms of that i think that is something that uh voltron ultimately did well is the fact that like shiro isn't portrayed any differently after the point where it's supposedly revealed okay, he's gay. But then again, they don't actually technically reveal in the text of the show that he's gay until literally the last shot of the entire series. Okay. So yeah. so it's like it is never stated in show Shiro is yeah. gay. Um so like you would never know. You would never know. You'd never even know he had like sexual feelings towards anything yeah. uh until the last shot of that show because he never shows attraction towards anyone right um so it's like it's one of those things where like shiro is just like for the vast majority of the show's runtime in fact the show's entire runtime until it's literal last seconds shiro is just this asexual all business leader type guy okay i gotcha and then, like, right at the last second, uh, he's, you know, revealed to be gay. And it's like, if he's going to be gay, then, like, actually show that. Like, let that be what he yeah. is. Um, because you're clearly never going to pull the trigger on Keith and Lance, which I didn't care about to begin with anyway. Right. I was not invested in a relationship between Keith and Lance. I, I've said before that there's only one couple I've ever shipped and it became canon. So I'm <laughs> smarter than everybody else. Look at me. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so uh, like, but like, I just, I just don't, I don't ship unless it's a super obvious thing. Yeah, I don't yeah. ship. Um, now, okay. Now I will say watching Shira now that is kind of turning me around a little bit. Um, on on shipping though because there is there is like a pairing in there that i don't know if it's ever going to become an official thing but it feels like it's super obvious and um i i so it's like but 
it could go either way at this point where I where I'm right. at right now. I'm part way into season four. So, but oh, Shira is so much better than than Voltron in like every. The animation regard, looks though. really good. Like it's very like. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. I have to look at it again. It, it's like a kind of minimalistic, but it looks very like smooth. If I remember. It right. Yeah, it's very, it's very, it's very low detail, but that helps it move yeah. so much better. The, one of the issues with Voltron was how highly detailed all the designs were, and so like it was very stiff. But um, Shira's general low detail in comparison allows the animation to just move right. way better. It can squash and stretch and be yeah. a cartoon. Um, and I I like that about it. I love a lot of the character designs. Um, Scorpia is the best character in any TV show ever released ever. Um, it's like, yeah, so, you know, it's a good <laughs> show. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, but yeah, I don't, I don't ship. <laughs> but like I said, said though, like the only times I've ever have shipped is when it's obvious and it's really weird. Maybe I just have a really strong sense for these sorts of things, but both of the ships I've ever done have been like, lesbian couples oh, okay i gotcha because the first time i sh- i shipped was bumblebee from ruby it's it's yang and blake it's it's called the bumblebee ship because they're they're yellow and black. Oh, okay i gotcha um so uh it's like yeah like and i'm pretty sure that became canon i i haven't seen the part where i think think it's official like i haven't i i've watched up to season five i think and i'm not all the way caught up but um, I'm pretty sure in season six it became official. Um, at least that's what I heard. So you know, I'm going yeah. based on that. And then, uh, and then it's the same for for Shira. It's like there's just one p- particular pairing in there that just feels like it's super obvious, and it's gonna happen by the end. But I don't know. Yeah, there's so, there's some weird fan know. art on Shira. I was looking at it right now. <laughs> Oh, no, I, I wasn't looking up fan oh, art. God. I just looked up Scorpia Shira because I wanted to see what the character design looks like. And it looked cool, but then it's it's just oh a part gosh. of it. It's just in the thing. She's so perfect and awesome. I love her. She's the best character in anything ever. Like, you need to watch Shira yeah, so I'll you probably can check get what it out. I mean. Like, she's... <laughs> I don't know what it is about about no I know exactly what it is about Scorpia but like every single time she pops up on screen instantly I smile and there was even an episode I was watching this morning um, where uh, like there's one scene where like Catra who is supposedly Scorpia's best friend is like mean to her for a little bit and I actually like got upset and felt my heart sink a little bit like no you can't be mean to Scorpia um but uh, yeah, so um, what was I saying? Right, Scorpia. Like back in the old show, she's like, "I'm going, to, I'm going to get you, Shira. I'm going to defeat you." And then, and then Shira just like you know beats her in the usual way, where like they beat her up, and like she goes flying and, and spins around like a tree branch, and then is left there and is like right. dangling by her scorpion tail. And and it's like you know, oh, you know, it's goofy eighties, haha. <laughs> they beat the joke villain sort of thing, but like um current Scorpia is like she's just a big old cinnamon roll she's oh, okay. i love her she's adorable 
she's she's just like she just wants to be Catra's friend. She just wants to love her, man. She just wants to be Catra's friend, and Catra keeps pushing her away. I don't know why. I'm looking at like a animation of uh like the modern Scorpia. She looks like she could be thrown into the Harley Quinn animated show in terms of animation. Yeah, the animation for her character specifically. Like it matches um in terms of uh like coloring and everything. Yeah. Yeah, she she looks like she could be a DC villain. Um but yeah, like she uh the the Yeah, everything about her is just awesome. And then Katra is a super cool character. I love all the Shira villains. Um so like Katra is also a very interesting and and complicated character. Um she's gotten a lot darker as the seasons have gone on. Um and she feels like she's losing it. But uh and then, like, you know, there's also, like, the good guys, like, the princesses of power are all pretty funny. They, I feel like they haven't all had a whole lot of opportunities to, like, grow and develop as their own characters in many places. But they're a good, like, supporting cast for She-Ra yeah. and Glimmer and Bo. Um, but, like, because, uh, like, you've got, you know, Princess Mermista. She's, like, this water princess. She's, like, whatever about everything like she's the princess who doesn't care she's too cool for this um like princess perfuma who's like this hippie like communes with the plants sort of princess and princess frosta who is literally an 11 year old kid with ice powers so she's like very energetic um she's trying to be uh glimmer's you know best friend uh because she looks up to her and she thinks she's cool so um it's like it's it's one of those things where it's like yeah it's it's a very fun dynamic between um like the team yeah that the show focuses on but yeah like those three princesses are mostly there's a supporting cast for uh like a support system for the three main characters of adora glimmer and bow and i'm assuming bow is the one with the bow and arrow okay i got you yes yeah very on the nose there Oh my gosh! And if you if you saw Bo's design from the '80s, good lord, I I'm so glad they updated him. Let's see. Oh wow, <laughs> it's a uh, an '80s porn man. Yep. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The new That's yeah, exactly the new what that is so much better. <laughs> It is. It's vastly superior. Um, but yeah. Okay. So So I guess in conclusion this like for, to our initial discussion yeah. cuz this conversation keeps getting away from us. Um, Snyder cut weird yeah. probably sets a bad precedent. It's interesting, but yeah, definitely uh um Definitely with uh, Sonic starting things <laughs> off, um, I'm not sure how this will look in the future. I would ultimately say negative for studios. Yeah, this this is this sends a message that if you whine long enough and loud enough, yeah. you will get whatever you want. Like all you have you to do is go on the internet and complain. Any money, to get everybody up front, else to complain like with you. 
how something like that normally is. You can just complain for free and they will spend millions to fix it. And then you don't, and you don't even have to go there and pay them for it. Yeah. And as an aspiring creator myself, someone who wants to write comic books, I have my own ideas um, for how I want things to go, especially with my own, you know, ideas that I plan to like have done independently. Like there, there are stories that I have that I will not let go of. I I will own those. I don't, I don't want certain ideas to become company owned by any company. I I want them to be mine. Um, So like, what happens if I take a character that becomes a fan favorite in a direction that a lot of fans don't like? It's like, I'm not going to change the direction I'm taking yeah. it just because everybody starts complaining. Because a lot of times, you know, creators of entertainment and media um, have a specific intention. They have somewhere they're going that can be great if you just... Yeah shut up and, and listen like for a while in the previous episode if you don't like it there's always the other runs if, if you if there's not another run of that comic then there's plenty of other comics there's plenty of other stories like yeah it's okay yeah and plenty of other ones yeah. that are similar enough to scratch the itch if you don't like the direction spider-man's taking right yeah. now go read invincible if you don't if you don't like what's being done with uh with Captain America, then read um I don't know, Batman and vice versa. If you don't like Batman, read Captain America. Um It's like it's just one of those things where it's like Yeah, like if you don't like what's being done with a character or a group of characters or an entire story arc or an entire run, it's like there there are so many other options. Why? Why yeah. and yell me, and complain? Believe me, it sucks. I mean, about like I, this one. I felt that way too. Like whenever I really liked James Tiny and uh, the Force uh, Detective Comics run, I really liked that. And uh, he had a beginning, middle, and end to his run. And then a new writer came onto the scene and was basically doing the same exact story, like you know, stuff you already saw plus like stuff that like you didn't really care for if you were a part of that run i didn't like that but the thing is there's plenty of other comics i can go to to go read and also with that run like it was a full run so if i ever want to like relive that again i can just read that run again if i want something else if because i jumped off of detective comics well i can just put my three to five dollars into something else give something else a try stuff like that yeah yeah if there's if there's a run of a, of a comic that you care a lot about that you, that you don't really like very much right now yeah maybe it's time to experiment and branch out a little bit and find something new and then you know when a new writer comes along like just just pay attention to when the writers are changing yeah. and when a new writer comes along give it another shot because your favorite doesn't have to stop being your favorite yeah, just exactly. because you don't like what the writers are doing right now. And and you know, we're not we're not saying like com- completely ditch everything you care about um every time something changes and you don't no, like no. it. Like 
that's not what I'm saying at all. Like, I'm not saying, like, just abandon Captain America because you don't like that he's a Hydra agent. I'm saying, like, just keep track of it. And when he's not a Hydra yeah. agent anymore, because you know that's going to happen, you should know that's going to happen if you're really, you know, yeah, that that into comic books. Um, uh, like, yeah. and when he's not a Hydra agent anymore, come back. Brandon, anything to plug or recommend? Uh... Get the plug out of the way. Disney Comics, D-I-S-M-A-Y Comics, uh, Indie Comics. <laughs> like I, I want to like you're, that. You're I, so, I say it so all enthusiastic time. about this. It's it's only please, like, you know your, your, your business basically that you're please, trying to start up. Yeah, please definitely check it out. Um, <laughs> but I, I say it so many times. It's like uh, yeah, but um, but yeah, check it out. We're doing some Disney or not Disney. Scratch that Dismay uh, comic stuff. It's some indie comics. Um, we will put them out eventually. Eventually. <laughs> One eternity later. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, it's it's going pretty good. Uh, got the first issue completely lettered. Getting the lettering done for the cover art. The cover art's been done for what months. You got the first issue like it's fully lettered. Yeah, it's completely done. So yeah. like, it's all, oh first, wow, dude. Yeah, way closer than I thought you were. Yeah, that's what I, I. That's the file I was trying to send you, but like it. Oh <laughs> okay. Send. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Completely right. lettered. Like the only stuff that like isn't in that file is like. uh Basically, cover page, back cover page, um, the inner cover pages, and then like your credits page. And then I want to put in each one of my comics letters pages because I love the idea of letters pages. I loved it back. I love it in like any type of comic. Once that's uh, once that's out, I'm definitely getting a physical copy, and uh, we're we're gonna have to talk about it on one of our uh, um, discussion episodes on the show. Yeah, that's fine. And then, like, uh, I would, hopefully, I would, by the... to, I would love to talk to you about it. Uh, yeah, like... yeah, it'd be fine. And then, hopefully, by the end of the year, uh, the second issue of Disney Comics comes out. That one's like a little bit bigger than this one. This one, the story is forty pages, but the comic itself is going to be forty-four pages. Hmm. Um, but the the second one is going to be like sixty pages in total because wow. it has. Yeah, it has. Oh, yeah. All of these are going to be like not your 22 or 32 page comic. Um, but the uh, the 60 page one has four stories. And like, let's see. Oh, so they're all going to be pretty decently sized. Yeah, yeah. Like the. OK, so the shortest one in the second issue is eight pages long. And okay. the longest one, I think, is 18 pages long. OK. Um, so, yeah, they all vary in there. But uh but yeah, that one, three of the stories are already done. Um, that one, there's still some more stuff I got to do. Like one of the stories is still being worked on and then it's got to be lettered. Um, and then I got to have uh, like opening credits made for each story. Like how if you look in an anthology comic, how yeah. there are opening credits for each story. Yeah. Um, I got to do that and then I got to that one's going to be later in terms of, of coming out. Cause that will be the technical first official letters page. Cause at that point I'll actually have one or two emails that I actually can 
go into and it's not just that that letters page is like kind of the making of it like where I was at that point in terms of like how heavily it was inspired about like life stuff as well as like uh some concept art and different stuff like that so yeah um, I, I, I want it to be as good as it can be that's the reason the stuff is taken forever for me is like I, I could put it out but I want it to be as good as it can be. That's why I had this first issue be re-lettered by a different letterer. Because mm. um, this first issue like, was supposed to come out on Kickstarter basically the beginning of May. But because of different things that I wanted changing, that's why it's moved back. But uh, it's fun. It's definitely a fun thing. I don't have a crap ton of hobbies other than like what you can easily do such as watching tv streaming like playing video games everyone does that stuff so you can't really say that's a hobby but in terms of like actual hobbies i would say like making comics is definitely it it's probably what i spend the most money on in terms of money i accumulate Hmm. Hmm. but it is fun even though in terms of money reward, there's not really anything there, but it's just a ton of fun working with other people that you click with. Sometimes you don't click with, but working with people you click with and and like getting them to like bring those words to, to paper. It just looks, it's like, ah, yes. It's, It's like, it's so satisfying seeing like what you had in your head, but because you are a crappy artist you can only do stick figures but you can write a semi-decent story you see it put on the paper you're like yes someone someone just burrowed into my head and got it um but yeah that that was a random rant or not rant that was more of like a a tangent um so yeah there's that disney comic you can check that stuff out uh quick recommendation um i'm not finished with it i talked about it earlier this episode the book i'm halfway done with um this doesn't mean it's bad it just means i'm horrible at time management um unbeatable squirrel girl beats up the marvel universe um i have not read any of the unbeatable squirrel girl uh, uh comics um but this is really good i love the humor in this book um it's one of the funniest things ever and after on each page at the bottom of it you have like little uh like writer's notes but sometimes it's like squirrel girls uh like thoughts and it's just like i it's such a funny book it's a it's a funny book for all ages also this is like something that anyone can laugh at and it makes me really wish that Marvel made an unbeatable squirrel girl show like a cartoon show. Um, it, it, I know. See, here's the thing. Okay. If DC owned unbeatable squirrel girl. I believe they would make this show. Marvel <laughs> doesn't want to take that chance though, because they realize how risky of a property this is in the sense that it's not super well known. Well, they are making a movie about the Eternals. Yeah, and I was about to say, with the right marketing, 
because Marvel does branch out here and there, but the right marketing, this could be like a great addition to Disney plus if they did something like this, but uh, it's, it's a hilarious book. Um, definitely recommend it. And I haven't read it, but I'll go ahead and recommend it. Cause I'll wind up buying it eventually. The unbeatable squirrel girl uh, series. Alrighty. Okay, then. As for me, I'm Tio. Hi. Did we introduce ourselves at the beginning of the episode? Uh, yeah, we keep forgetting that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm Tio, and that one's Brandon. Um... <laughs> I am that. What's that? I said, I am that. Yes. Uh, so, for me, um, my plug is the store brand comics uh, on YouTube same as this podcast um i just uh make like small videos about like comic books and stuff and me and my mom no longer weekly it used to be weekly but uh now it's just kind of whenever we get around to it uh because we're both busy now me and my mom uh every once in a while watch animated movies from all over the world and then talk about it and put the video on youtube um, the last one we did, I think, as of right now, is Ringing Bell, uh, which is, you know, an old uh, anime movie about about a lamb um, made by the same people who, who created Hello Kitty and Agretzko. Uh, I think that's going to be our most recent one for a little while. So I'm probably not going to mention that particular series for a few episodes until we start making those videos again. But, um, but yeah uh so yeah store brand comics youtube channel uh I, I like i said i also talk about comic books i'm probably gonna start actually uploading videos again about comic books at some point um i just don't know i still gotta figure out which comic book series i want to talk about next though so i'll figure that out um and then as for recommendations if you couldn't tell based on uh, earlier in the podcast, I heavily, heavily recommend She-Ra and the Princesses of Power on Netflix. Um, if you want a good series, um, an action cartoon, which there are so few of these days on regular TV. I'm yeah. so happy Netflix has given a home to action cartoons. Um, but if you want an action cartoon that's very much geared towards girls... Um, Shira is the one for you. Um, now I hesitate to say that it's an action cartoon for girls because I don't think that um, things like you know entertainment should be classified as like for girls yeah. or for boys. Yeah. Like if you're a girl and you like Ben Ten and Young Justice, that's pretty cool. If you're a yeah. boy and you like Monster High and My Little Pony, that's cool too. So it's like Shira is for kids. Um, yes. It is an all ages show, so uh, um, it's rated TV Y seven. Um, so, like you know, it's it's safe for children to watch, um, and it's got a lot of really pretty colors and a lot of flashing lights. Um, <laughs> that's what keeps me distracted. No, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a good series. It's got a really good story and very interesting, complex characters. Um, and, uh, I just, I just enjoyed it. And as I stated earlier in the episode, 
Scorpia is the best character in anything ever. She instantly makes me smile the second I see her on the screen. Like, I just, I love that character. That and the flashy lights and colors. That and the flashy lights and colors. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's us for the week. So I, this is Storebrand Comics. I have been Tio. And I've been Brandon. And now we're not. And we will see you next week. Goodbye. Yeah, I'm one, I'm one of those people where I usually do listen to podcasts while I'm doing something else, but I could just sit and listen to the and podcast me, as like, my Yeah, activity. it's so weird because, like, if I can't do one of those other things, like, it's like, well, I guess I'll go ride my bike while listening to the podcast because, I don't know, for me, it's like, I can't just sit still and do this one thing. It's almost like I'm always, like, multitasking or something to where it's like are you crazy you're trying to do one thing what are you stupid brandon (laughs) our brain will (laughs) shut down if you do that fool yeah (laughs) (laughs) fool oh my gosh that's like that's like the ultimate like just insult it's so abrupt and it's but it's just (laughs) mean you know what i mean you fool (laughs) oh god that hurts that physically hurts me. Why would you do that? Because why don't you fool. just say like, "Hey, what's up, stupid? Why do you got to call me a fool?" Because such words do not properly capture the the the, <laughs> the dippy dippy dum dum foolishness of of you, you fool. Your brain is poopy doopy.